Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. I'm so glad that you're with me today because we are going to dive deep and explore Isaiah 59. We're entitling this new series, The Thrill of Hope. And today, out of Isaiah 59, I'm going to talk to you about vertical hope. I want us to see how God shows through Isaiah 59 that we cannot run to other people, we cannot run to other situations, that anything that we would say is horizontal hope will not bring lasting joy. It will not bring fulfillment into our lives. No, what we must do is we have to look at the vertical hope. We have to look to God for the things that only God can satisfy our souls and our lives with. I'm so glad that you're with me today as we explore the difference between horizontal and vertical hope on this edition of Awakened to Grace. Today, I introduce a short series called The Thrill of Hope. I want to talk about what hope is and where it is found. Today will be part one, Christmas Eve, candlelight, will be part two, and then, of course, Christmas morning next Sunday will end with part three. So I hope you'll join us for all of that. Well, let's go today to Isaiah chapter 59. Say amen if you're blessed today. I'm so thankful that you're here. I trust that God has great things to say to us. Isaiah chapter 59. It is 21 verses. We're not going to look at all 21, but I am going to do my best to walk you through the chapter. There's going to be 10 to 12 verses that I want to touch on, that I want to explain Because this is a very important chapter. As a matter of fact, I love particularly the chapters 50 to 60 in the book of Isaiah. This whole collection of 10 chapters are remarkable. And I'll be honest with you, 59 is a bit difficult for me. But I have been diving deep into this. And the more I dive into it, In the beginning, I sort of scratched my head and said, Lord, what are you saying? And the more I have dug into it and the more I've digged around the soil of the scriptures, the sweeter fruit I have found, the more abundance I have found in the word. And I can't wait to share it with you today. I want to call today in this series called Thrill of Hope, I want to call today Vertical hope. It's critical that you understand that God has hardwired you, God has hardwired my life, your life, everyone's life to hope in something. Our lives, if you think about it, is really a series of hope. Every Ambition that we enter into, every dream that we try to accomplish, everything that you and I get get excited about is really hope that we're looking for. On the opposite side, every time you are let down, 
Every time you and I feel sorrow, every time we are disappointed, every time we feel hurt or loss or grief or pain, it is because it is the opposite. It is hope dash. I don't know where your life is at the moment, and I don't know what kind of year you have experienced. But I would say that somewhere through this year, you have experienced a loss of hope. I would say somewhere through this year, you have in some way experienced loss. I don't know where your life is. For many of us, we set out in life and somehow we end up getting the job that we want or somehow we get the education that we are pursuing or somehow we marry the love of our life and we begin a family and God begins to give us the things that we wanted so much and so desperately. But then you fast forward through time and through the years and for many people, They're not satisfied. They're lacking. Why is it that when you marry the person of your dreams, it still does not bring you the hope you long for? Why is it that as much as we love our children, we still do not feel quite fulfilled? Why is it that you can get the job that you go after? You can make the money that you want. You can take the vacations that you desire, but yet it leaves you feeling hopeless. It's because God has hardwired you for a certain hope that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to show it to you today using the scriptures. Isaiah 59 verse 1 is a very interesting verse. It says, behold, The arm of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot reach. His ear is not dull that he cannot hear. Now, I've always loved that verse, and I apply that verse in my prayer life. Often when I pray, I remind the Lord, Lord, your arm is not short. You can reach into my life. You can reach into my circumstance. You, oh God, can intervene. I remind the Lord, your ear is not dull, that you cannot hear me. I know based upon the scriptures that you hear me today. And I thank you for listening to me. For the scripture says, his eye is on the righteous and his ears are open to our cries. Amen. The Lord loves it when we pray the scriptures. Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together. The Lord loves it when you reason with him and when you pray his word and you remind him of his promises. But I never saw the angle from which verse 1 is speaking until I studied this chapter in depth. The reason why the scriptures say that his arm is not too short and his ear is not too dull is because God's people had leveled a charge against God. They are saying, God, you are not paying attention. God, you are not doing your job. God, you are not helping me as I think you ought to help me. And I don't know where you are in this stage of life. I don't know where you are in this season of your life. But I know in my heart today that God has put this word in my heart. God has put this text in my heart because I know there are many listening today that somewhere down the line, you have become disappointed with God. Somewhere along the way in your heart, you're saying, God, you are not doing 
your job. I look around at the holidays and everyone is happy except me. Everyone is fulfilled except me. Everyone has hope except me. What is wrong with you? This is what God's people is saying to him. So God answers back. And if you will pay attention with me today at what God says and how God thinks, oh, it will answer so many questions. And just like the glorious gospel does, it gives us good and great news. What did the angels say when Christ was born? What did they say to the shepherds? Here is good news of great joy. And that's exactly what the gospel is. But friends, you'll never see the glory of the gospel. You'll never see the good news of the gospel until you first see the calamity of sin. And this text shows us. Verse 2, look at it with me. Look what God says. Your iniquity has separated you from God. Your sin has hidden his face that he is not listening to you. Can you see the picture that God's people are complaining? God's people are pointing fingers. God's people are saying, I don't see your help. I don't see joy. I don't see peace. I don't see justice. I don't see righteousness. I don't see truth. I don't see any of these things. And God says, here's the reason why. Because your sin has separated us. And verses 1 through verses 8 is an indictment from God to humanity. And God lays it out. And God begins to explain how and why sin separates us from God. But see, here's what you and I do in our humanity. You and I go after what we think will fulfill us. We go after things we think will satisfy us. We go after things that we call hope, but God knows that it's empty. So what we do is we spend our lives. We chase after relationships. We chase after situations. We'll even chase locations. And we'll think that by changing locations, it'll bring us hope. By gaining that new relationship, I'll feel fulfilled. That getting into this new career or changing into this situation, that I will finally feel satisfied. But God knows that it's empty. So what we do is we look for horizontal hope. And friends, I want to show you through the scriptures today that is empty There isn't but one hope that satisfies, and that is a vertical hope. And it's the only place we'll ever feel true fulfillment. And then it's out of that vertical hope. It's out of that vertical relationship that then we function right. We think right. We feel right. We behave right in all of the other horizontal relationships of our lives in all the other horizontal situations of our lives. Am I making sense to anyone today? So verses 9 and 10 get very interesting. And it is highly interesting to me. So watch what happens. God is going to bring an indictment 
on humanity. And he is going to say, this is why you're in the mess that you are. And watch what happens in verses 9 and 10. He says, you're like a blind man. Oh, that hits home right there. That hits close. He says, you're like being in the full noonday, but yet you're in the gloom of night. Verse number 10, he gives quite a vivid picture here. He says, you're like a blind man stumbling along the wall trying to find your way. I remember when uh, I sat down with Pastor Josh, our executive pastor, for the first time. He and I met here at the church for lunch, and I had never met him in person. We ordered in Bagel Exchange, and we go from the lobby, and normally I'll walk. Well, that was before the new kids' wing was created, and you couldn't just walk through the hallway, so I brought him in through the auditorium. Well, I thought the lights were on. They weren't. It was pitch black. So we had to go from the lobby all the way to the conference room in pitch black. Well, I know my way, and I know my path, and I just follow my wall, and I'm fine. And Josh says, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. Well, he couldn't do it as good as I can do it. <clears throat> now Josh laughs and tell, tells people, I was his first blind hire. <laughs> He says, you're like a blind man groping in the dark, stumbling along the wall, trying to find your way. Do you know what he's telling humanity? He's telling humanity, you've lost your way. Now listen, when we have severely lost our way, there is only one of two things we can do. Either we can point the finger at God and say it's your fault. You're not doing your job. You're not treating me fairly. You're not good. You can point your finger at God and say life is not fair. Or as the text shows, you and I can confess our need of God. We can humble ourselves down. We can confess our sin to the Lord. Look at verse 11 with me. After he says, you're like a blind man. You're groping in the dark. You're fumbling along the wall. Now, look what he says in verse 11. This is beautiful. Isaiah then begins confessing and he begins to say, God, it is our iniquity. God, it is our transgression. God, it is our sin that is ever before you. Verse number 12, remember what we said? This is an indictment. And what does he say? He says, our sin, our iniquity, our transgression, transgressions, they are a case against us. They testify against us. Oh, let me ask you this, my friend. Have you ever confessed your sin? Have you ever recognized it? Have you ever seen it for what it is? Let me break this down quickly for us. What is iniquity? Do you know what that is? Let me give you a couple of great definitions that will just help us understand. Because here is the fact, my friends. Many of us don't feel the weight of our sin because it's never truly been explained to us. If I came up to you, better yet, if you came up to me and you said to me, Chad, I have good news for you. Oh, great. I always love good news. And you said, I paid your fine. Is that good news to me? 
No, it's confusing news. Because what would I say? What fine? I don't even know what you're talking about. I've not done anything wrong. Right? But what if you explained to me and you said, but Chad, you didn't know this, but I happened to be at the courthouse and I saw your name on the docket. And I thought, what is my friend Chad Roberts doing on the docket? And I went and inquired and they explained to me that you were speeding. You got, you got one of those traffic you know, camera tickets, whatever, to which I would say, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't even drive. And so, well, we're getting in the weeds now. But anyways, if you explain to me, Chad, you did not pay your fine and you were going before the judge. And I stepped in and I said, no, he's a friend of mine. I know him and I'm going to pay his fine. Then what is my reaction to you? Thank you. I had no idea. Many of your friends, many of your loved ones that you would love to see come to the Lord, many of them don't understand because they've never seen their sin. They've never seen their need of a Savior. So let me explain it to us. Number one, iniquity. What does iniquity mean? Iniquity means... Moral uncleanness. In, in other words, that means that me, Chad Roberts, born as a sinner, struggling with my flesh, wrestling with my flesh that I'm supposed to crucify. Why do I have to crucify it? Because it's a struggle with sin. That means that I do not always have pure motives, nor do I always have pure desires unless I crucify my flesh and walk in the Spirit. If I'm not walking in the Spirit, I'm going to have moral uncleanness. I'm not going to have pure motives. You know, one thing that God showed me this year about my own life and my own leadership, God showed me how I have to be very careful in my dealing with people. Because I'm a type A personality. I am the type that I want to see us have success. I want to see us move the needle. I want to see us go forward. And so when you're like that, it is very easy to manipulate situations. Why? For the good of the outcome. For the end result. To see progress. You know, that's iniquity. The Lord began to show me, instead of manipulating things and just getting the good result, the Lord said, why don't you begin doing the hard work and motivate people? Find out what their motivation is. Don't just say, this is where we're going. Let's get there. Find out what motivates your team. Find out what motivates your people. Find out, find, do harder work than what you're doing. Boy, that really spoke to me. Because if I'm not careful, even though I love people and I love to shepherd people and I love to lead our leaders and I love to lead our teams and I love all the work that this church accomplishes, if I'm not careful, iniquity will be found in me. Not pure motives, not pure desires, moral uncleanness. Secondly, in verse 11, not only does he mention iniquity, he mentions transgressions. What do transgressions mean? 
Transgressions means a high-handed rebellion. In other words, you have full knowledge of it. In other words, you know full well what you're doing. It lit, transgression literally means to step beyond the boundaries. You know where the boundary is, and yet you step across it. I work with so many marriages. I counsel constantly marriages. And let me tell you what I see with so many marriages. I see transgressions. What do you mean? Do you know why so often you fight and you conflict and you stay so angry? It's because you knowingly, with a high hand, you stepped over the boundary. Oh, you don't have to say amen. I understand. (laughs) Now, come on, let's get real. Why is there going to be conflict in your home this holiday season? Is because many of us live in this realm of transgression where we know what is right, we know what is wrong, but with a high hand in full rebellion, we push the envelope and we step right over the bound and we don't care in the moment. Am I right or am I wrong? And then the moment we step over the bounds... We think, well, you know, it's fine. It's just who I am. I just blow up for a second. I just, you know, I just, you know, we just, it just lasts for a day or two. But you have no idea the damage, the long-term damage you're doing in your transgression. Iniquity. Moral uncleanness, to not have the right motives, to not have the right desires. Transgressions, a high-handed rebellion, stepping over the boundaries. I don't know if I'm preaching to you, but I'm telling you right now, I'm preaching to me today. And then lastly, sin. What is sin? You have iniquity, you have transgressions, and you have sin. What is sin? Sin literally means to fall short. It means to miss the mark. Let me give you a good example. We've done many church events up at Duck Island at Warrior's Path State Park. They've got that beautiful lake there right in, with Duck Island in the center. We've done many baptisms there. If you and I, if we took our whole congregation and we stood right there on the shore of Duck Island and we did a contest where we said, who can jump from Duck Island to the other shore? Who could do it? Could anyone in this building do it? The answer is no. It wouldn't matter how healthy you were. It wouldn't matter how young you were. It wouldn't matter how athletic you were. It wouldn't matter how confident you were. There is nothing within your natural ability. There is nothing in your humanity. There is nothing in you that would have the ability to jump from one shore to the other shore. It would be impossible. And do you know what God says concerning the sin of humanity? God says all, that is every person of every generation, all people, and that certainly includes me and it certainly includes you. We have all fallen short and we have all sinned. That means that when it comes to God, you and I have no human ability to be accepted by God. 
Have you visited my online store where you can find books, music, sermon series, and so much more? I hope you'll go there today, awakentograce.com slash store, and keep checking back because our resources that are designed for spiritual growth are always growing. awakentograce.com slash store.